an inner view with the Rian Gallagher. Beautiful. Oh, praise the Lord. Hello, 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 um, and welcome to episode, I think it's 14, I haven't checked, but I think it's 14, um, yeah, it's, it's taking a bit longer between the episodes, because I've just, um, I've obviously come back from travelling, because of Covid, Mark 2, so yeah, I found it a bit difficult to get motivated to, to sort of do things, or to do things productive, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, the podcast, it's amazing, it gives me happiness, let's get back on it, let's like, get it in videos again, so, yeah, after all that discussion and thought, uh, here we are again, we're back, uh, I'm currently sitting on a boat in London, that one of my friends has just bought, you've become part of the boat of life, which I have to say is a beautiful one, it's a really, I mean, yeah, it's given me all sorts of ideas, um, and yeah, fingers crossed I'll um, do a podcast with him um, at some point in the near future. Because yeah, he's a very, very lovely, very interesting dude. Um, I think I should... Uh, there's a, the the, the, the kind of intro bit has changed a little bit. I, I heard this song while I was cycling and I was like, oof, that's going to sound good at the start of the podcast. So um, yeah, it's called Tagada by Camel, Camel Power Club. Um, so yeah, it gives it a little bit of fruitiness, which I quite like. Um... Yeah, so this episode is with a guy called Terry Ellis, uh, a friend of mine, Rosie. She was uh, she's actually been on the podcast. Uh, she was reading an article in I think it was the Camden New Journal. It was about this guy who was an ex-offender, uh, pretty serious um, sort of criminal, um, and he went through this experiment at this prison. It's called the Grendon Therapy. Um, experiment or Grendon Prison Experiment um, and yeah it's a prison that is um, completely therapeutic hours hours round the clock like it's all one big therapy session and so I, I messaged him and he really kindly agreed to um, yeah to be on, on the podcast and have a chat um, yeah as you'll as you'll get to see um, from the chat I mean yeah to spend to spend time with him and and you know for him to give his time and to allow this uh, this conversation to be yeah, broadcast was just just fantastic. You know he's a very, he's a very open, a very honest man. Um, you know he's been I, I'm imagining um, through the experiment. You know he's been through some serious um, self questioning um, analysis, whatever you want to call it, soul searching, whatever you want to call it. You know he's done a lot of it, and you know the fact he's so open and so honest and so genuine. Um, and you know he's just, he just seems to now have this kind of lust for life because he's seen what it's like to be on the on sort of that side of of, of life you know being behind bars and you know he talks a lot about his um his criminal kind of past um, and to where he is now you know having having gone through this experiment and it you know as, as you'll hear it didn't have its you know there were people who were using it just to kind of get you know um, quicker sentences um, 
but there are some people, Terry, one of them, who have come through this and, and, and have really grasped it and used it as a as a kind of vehicle for for how to live the rest of his life. So yeah, his you know the way he spreads his words around the um, the 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 kind of reforms he wants from the prison system, um, yeah, his understanding of therapy, the way he. Um, well, yeah, he's got this ch- this like charitable work now with the there's a um, change your life, put down your knife campaign. He he founded Camden for Violence, so he's a you know he's a he's, he's a guy who who just really now wants to wants to promote goodness and promote um, yeah love and care, and uh, not only for yourself but for others. You know, there's yeah an amazing conversation with an amazing guy, um, and I really hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I had uh, sitting down with him and recording. So if you're listening, Terry, thank you very much for agreeing to do it, mate. I really appreciate it. Um, the end uh, outro? Outro is the right word. The outro song is a song called Roadblock and it's by Stock Atkin. I think it's Waterman. Yeah, it is. I'll put, um, I'll put links up to it, but uh, there was a reference to it in the podcast, so uh, I hope you're doing okay during this COVID thing. I hope you take this lockdown thing with a new lease of life or the coming out of it. Uh, and yeah, lots of love and thank you for listening. Okay, ciao. Thank you, mate. No problem. I really appreciate this. Uh, this little, you know, you're, you're, you know, allowing your time for, for a chat. Uh, yeah, I suppose it'd be a good place to start. At the start, really. So, where, where did you, where did you grow up? Where did you like? I'm, I was I was born in Camden Town in Royal College Street. Mm-hmm. Um, we've lived well. I lived I lived uh, in Camden until I was about eleven. Okay. Um, and then I was put in care. Right. Um, I was, and I was put in the care of a place called Langtree Walk in Swiss Cottage. And from there, I was, um, you know, first of all, I went to Stanford, Stanford House. I was a young, sort of, wayward kids where they were sent there. Um, and I, I got expelled from uh, school when I was uh, 11. I went to, I went to uh, Langshire Walk, then Stanford House. And then I got assessed to go to a place called Greenacres in Wiltshire. And that was like a community home. Um, where I spent about two and a half years, about two and a half, three years there. Um, working on a farm. Okay. So no education. Uh, I was deemed too disruptive. Um, and so they put me on that. They, they sort of put me on the farm to sort of work, which, which for me was great because I love animals. I love being out in the open. As I said, I, I suffered from dyslexia as a kid. So 
I had a lot of embarrassment about going into class. So, you know, the perfect place for me was in the middle of a, middle of a farm, mm-hmm. you know, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, unfortunately, I, got my, I had a girlfriend now who got pregnant and I was then kicked out of there, um, I think 14, 15 years old. Okay. Um, and then moved back to London and they never ended anywhere suitable for me. So they put me in, in, a, in a flat in Dorney Towers in Swiss Cottage with two, two other guys. Um, both what, what age was this? 15, you said? I was about 15, yeah, just, just 15 years old. One of the, uh, they put me in, into uh, a flat with these two guys and they was in their 20s, 20, I think one of them was 24, one of them was 25. Um, one of them was a, an armed robber. Um, and over the course of a, of a, few, uh, a few weeks, I started speaking to him and um, I was quite big for my age and I was quite aggressive and I quite, you know, I could look after myself. And, and uh, he suggested that, um, that maybe it might be a good ex- uh, experience for me to actually come on one of the bits of work they were doing. So we went and looked at um, a few post offices. Um, I think there was about, about six or ten of them in the area where I was living in, Swiss Cottage, Camantan, you know, all, all over the place. And for the next... You know, the next few months I was robbing them. I was going in there with a with a sauna shotgun, um, and just 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 really demanding money with menaces. It was crazy. Um, I was 15 years old, and I, I don't say that I was easy led, but you know, you know, I was put in this I was put in a, in this flat. I never had no money, um, and I got offered an opportunity to actually earn some money. Right. Um, so you know, and I and I grasped it with both hands. Um, and as a young kid. You know, my role models were all were all villains. You know, um, you know, my dad was an armed robber, and everyone that I grew up with in that area were all were all at it. You know, they were either selling gear, selling drugs. You know, we bought all of everything we had in the, in the house. I remember when I was younger, I came off the back of a lorry. So you know, the only thing I ever knew was was criminality, and we ne- I never had no fear of it. So it was, I mean, it was actually normal. Yeah, the normal. Right? So to so 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 to then step up to armed robbery as a young kid was 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 nothing nothing uh, that wasn't that wasn't hard for me. Okay. You know, it was just a natural progression from from doing, you know, warehouses when I was a kid. I was I was shoplifting with my mum. Um, she used to actually put me through the window of places when I was a kid. Um, that's one of the reasons I actually went into care in the first place. Okay. Um, so you know, yeah. So all of a sudden, I'm back in London. Um, I'm going down to the, the electric ballroom, the music machine every night. I'm 15 years old. I've got loads of money in my pocket, and I've just found women. You know, so you know, money, women, drugs, alcohol. I thought I cracked it. You so know? it's 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 all quite a dangerous thing to happen at such a young age, isn't it? Like to have all that at your at, at your feet, you know, without 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 any sort of grounding in the world or any any kind of. Do you know, you know, I think the, I think when you come from a single parent family, I think you know you. You you know if you're if you're giving your mum money, you know I was doing robberies, I was doing uh, warehouses and factories at that time, and I was giving her cigarettes, I was giving her clothes, and she was earning lots of money. So that then entitled me to actually be the man of the ass at a very early age. So when you when you make your own rules up and you live by your own rules, then not everything's everything's doable. You know you don't see anything wrong in your actions as long as you're putting food on the table for your mum and your brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, doing what I was doing was seen as as, as quite um, quite an honourable thing, you know, in in a, in a real a real crazy mixed up way, mm. you know, in a, in a normal household where, 
you have a father and a mother, and if you do anything wrong, they would castigate you. They would tell you off and, you know, not to do that again, you know, you had to reprimand you. Mm. And unfortunately, in my home, or when I was younger, it, it was seen as if I got caught, that was really bad. You know, I mean, they, would beat the sh they would beat me. Uh, <laughs> they would beat me. Mm. Um, but if I got away with it, they would, they would, they would, they would, uh, they would well done. They would, done well right. done, son, well done. I say, you know, well, you know. And then, I, and then, uh, it was on to the next thing, on to the next thing. So it's quite a, it's 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 quite a uh, kind of dangerous way to 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 kind of reinforce like positivity in that way. Do you know what I mean? To, to it, praise it, it and to uh, you know, as you know, thinking back now, because I've got, I've got I've got five kids, and and I would never dream of doing that to any of them. You know, I, I've I've learned, you know, for me, I pushed them all for education through college, university, you know, and if any of them got in trouble, I would be I would be down to school. God forbid they ever went into the PlayStation, which none of them did. They would have been in, they would have been in trouble. Not I wouldn't have physically hurt them, I hit them. But for me, I've learned that you know violence doesn't doesn't help. But I would have made I would have gone out of my way to make sure that I would have took them to school and I'd have made sure they didn't mess around again, which I did on, on quite a few occasions. Mm. But I've never I've never have applauded that sort of lifestyle. What I had, you know, I think we learn from our mistakes. We learn from our parents' mistakes. But looking back on it, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't normal. Mm. So yeah. But unfortunately, it was normal for me at that time. Yeah, right, right, right. I, ne I never knew any anything different. Mm. So when so when you're when you're out in in Camden, all this money and all the you know the, the women, the booze, the drink. What was what was what were you feeling at that time? You, Do you know? I, I, you know, um, I, I thought I was untouchable. Really? Yeah. I was, you know, I've, I thought I'd cracked it. I'd made it. You know, I, I, this is what life is all about. I'm a 15 year old kid. I've got loads of money. I'm drinking. I'm in Leather Leeds, low profile. You know, these were clubs that men went to who were all villains. You know, you could go in, I could go into a club and buy a shotgun. I could buy a handgun. You know, I, can, I, could, I could speak to Tony or Peter or, or whatever, and then I could say, I need a car. You know, and, and a car would be dropped off wherever I wanted it. You know, I'd have the keys, everything else. So it was like a, it's like a university of, 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 of uh, skullduggery. Wow. You know, so, you know, but, 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 it, but it's so normal that it was just like going to the pub. Mm. You know, back in the days, you know, you know, uh, the pub was somewhere or a club where you go was, would be like a community centre or a social setting. But in the criminal underworld or that sort of criminal underworld then, we had low profile in Swiss Cottage, the Leisure Leeds, the tunnel up in Hampstead. These are all places where you had to be a member and you had to be part of that clique to actually get in there. Right. You know, and, and, and your dad had to be a part of it as well. Mm. You know, so, you know, there was a bit of nepotism, criminal, criminal nepotism in it. Um, to get in there, right. you know, so, you know, you know, if you know Camden, you know, that there's some quiet in Highbury, there's some quite big families, criminal families. And, 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 you know, people want to uh, aspire to that. They you know, want to aspire to be in part of that world. You know, it's, you know, there was no one in, in my community that who works that I wanted to aspire to the chip shop guy, no way. Yeah. Uh, the kebab shop, that guy, no way. Mm. The guy in Tesco's co-op. These are not something that you wanted to aspire to when you were younger. Mm. It's only after years and years of, of being in prison that they probably done so much better than me. You know, probably paid for all their houses now, and they've got their family, and they they they've been there all the time. So you know what? On reflection, them guys were the heroes. Them guys are the guys that I should have looked up to instead of trying to aspire to being like a like I was uh, and having my role models aspiring to do ten or fifteen years in prison, which I eventually did. Where did where did that kind of well, the the kind of height of having all that kind of money and all that sort of stuff. Where where did that take a turn for the for the worse? Where where, where did that kind of? Um, you know, I, I that's you know, I 
I was doing it. I was doing it for a couple of years, and I ended up renting a place out on my own. I moved out with it from the guys. I got a place um, in Hampstead, and um, you know, I'd, I had a couple of girlfriends. I was doing really well, um, and then one day I, I I came in and I had this this overwhelming feeling that something was going to happen. There was something dread. The hairs on my back went up, and as I put the keys in my door, the whole place just exploded into life with with old Bill with guns. Yeah, and they, they all started, they just, you know, first of all, I got a whack across the nut. I was spread with you on the floor. There was all guns in my head. And, and then once someone kicked me in the nuts, uh, and, and that was it. They said, we got him. Don't fucking move or we're going we're gonna to kill you. And that's when the reality came. And that's when it set into me that this is not a game. What age was that? That was... That was I was 17 then. Okay. You know, and, and up until that point, it was, it was a game. You know, it was a game of cat and mouse. Because, you, know, you know, I convinced myself that I wasn't really hurting anyone. You know, you know, so, you know, we'd done it. We'd never went in the attention of, of hurting anyone, but we was intimidating. We was quite frightening, putting guns in people's faces. Uh, but it was still just a game for a young kid. You know, I was a young kid and uh, in a man's body. But um, that day when I got arrested was was a day that I uh, that I seriously woke up. You know, because now I'd hit a big big time. They were like the Sweeney back in them days, right. and they weren't. They they didn't. Uh, they didn't hold back on any punches, mm. trust me. What was the what what were the thoughts and feelings going through your head when 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 you were down, spread eagle, gun to, gun to your head? Uh, it was just it was just you know the, the the dread that I'd been captured, you know the, the the thought of being captured, the thought of now having to go to prison, you know because you know I had I had a vision of prison that was draconian, you know beatings, um, you know somewhere you know you 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 haven't got a television, um, and you you know you're stuck there twenty four hours a day. Somewhere, you know, and banged up with the with the, with the worst people in society, the, the hardest, the most dangerous, and this is was going to be my my well for the next two or three years or whatever I, a sentence I got. I actually, I actually got a four year sentence at seventeen. I ended up going to Owsbury, Ashford, Owsbury, and Chelmsford. I ended up in Owsbury Prison, which is a big Victorian place, and it was just it was just violence every day. You know, people were getting cut. You know, people were getting hot water with sugar chucked in their faces. Um, it was just a mad place to be, you know. It was, a, but it was also, it's also after a, after a while, it was, it was normal. It was became home, you know. I became, you know, it became my home, and it wasn't the fear went. I always say, you know, if they would let me out the first, the first day I actually pulled up in that sweat box outside that prison, and I and I and and the thought of going in there, you know, I think it was a dark. It was dark at night, and it was, I could hear people shouting in the windows. I could see all the bars, I could see all the screws. I think at that one moment, if they let me go then, I don't think I'd have ever done anything again. Well, that was that, that moment of dread and fear of the unknown, that anxiety and, and everything that was going on, the adrenaline. And, 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 then, and then all of a sudden they opened the sweat box and said, get in. You know, you take your bag of stuff and you go in there. But normally in any situation, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a picture of equanimity. You know, I'm just really calm. I'm just like, because I don't show nothing. I think from a young age, I always... Uh, was quite calm in little, you know, even in my, my internally, my, my fucking stomach was, sorry, my, my stomach was going over and over. I'm normally quite calm in a situation. I think it's because I was in care. Because of the you, people were you, I was with. Were you, were you outwardly calm, but inwardly kind of? I was outwardly really calm, but inwardly I was on fire. Mm. You know, you know, for me, I think if anyone would have said anything, I would have weighed them in. Right. You, know, you, know, you know, you know that, you know, you can't hit a screw simply because you will get battered. You know, you'll get severely battered. Um, so, you know, so there was an underlying anger and everything that was going on inside me. But, you know, you want to notice it. So, you know, they, they give you your number, they check your gear, give you your bedding. 
Um, you have a strip search and a shower, and then it's off to your room and your cell for the next couple of years. Right. And it's only when that door shuts that that you really start to think of God. You know, you know, one day in prison is like a month outside. Well, when you haven't got a telly, it's, it's um, you know, it's 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 not a good place to be. But when you consider that it's the safest place that you're ever going to be behind that door, hmm. because you know, once that door opens in the daytime, you know, if, you know, as I said, you know, for a, for breakfast, dinner, and tea time and exercise, you're now mixing with some of the roughest kids and the rough, roughest men that you you could ever imagine, and their only stock in trade is violence and intimidation, because you know, every time you get canteen, someone's going to come after it. If you smoke, they're going to come after it. You know, so you really got to grow up really quick. You got to evolve into a monster, something that you wasn't really used to outside. You know, on on the outside world, you you know, you can you treat people as you find them. You know, you know, we we done our bits of work as we called it, but we always treated people with civility and and was nice to the old people and everything else and women. But the minute you go into into prison, you have to you have to you just become a real nasty person. Right. You know, you you know. Outwardly, or, or when you're in your in your cell, you, you you get that moment to reflect, and you go back to nice. But the minute you you step out of the cell, you got to be someone complete. You got to be someone who's prepared to do anything to protect himself and get his own way. Do you? Yeah, that was my, my question. Do you, do you do you do it to protect yourself, or do you do it to to kind of I think it's, uh, I think it's, flash yeah. your feathers in a way? Or? No, no. I think you know. I think you know. You have to do it to protect you. Survival protection. Yeah. The bigger the bowl, the bigger the insecurity. But it's also the bigger the bowl, the bigger you know, the less people are going to come near you. So, you know, you create a monster, you know. So all the time I was in prison, I was doing circuits every day. I was doing weights every day, pull-ups. You know, I was trying to create this 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 uh, this, this other side of me that wasn't really me, this persona. Um, and, and for the, you know, for two and a half years while I was in there, I, all I did was press-ups, sit-up, burpees every day. I was like a machine, right. boxing. Um, and that didn't set me up for, for coming out. You know, so now, you know, instead of going in there and actually doing rehabilitation courses and trying to change my way, I then became fitter, stronger. And, and I'd been talking to guys that lived in different parts of London who, who had the connections to, to get me further up the ladder. You know, so, you know, so it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was not as rewarding as far as rehabilitation was concerned. It was only rewarding as far as I actually met other people that can advance my criminal career, which is, and like which is crazy. networks around. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, it was crazy. You know, um, I had a network in Camden that I could survive, but I now, I now had a network all around, all around the country that I could go to. When was the story? During what time? What time I was, period? I was, I was, as, in, as, in, as in what year? What? Um, oh, you know what? I think it was, you know, it's got to be the 80s. Eh? 80s, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I think 80s. I was, I got, I think I went inside at 17, 18, 19. I came out at 19. Okay. Yeah, um, um, I came out. I got. I got. Uh, started to do the jump ups. What's that? What's jump uh, what happened? Is it, what happened is I met some guys in prison, uh, and they were older than me. You know, uh, I think one of them was, was about four years old. He then walked me through the whole scenario of, of following vans around, and how they do. It. They're called sign ups. So what you do? Um, first of all, you you follow vans, and when they do a delivery, you take you take everything that's on the back off and put it in your van. But as as you get better and better, you start to take your own locks with you. So what you do, you you take everything off them, and then you put a lock, the same lock on, so they don't realise that you've actually stolen anything. So it gives you enough time to go away. Mm. So we, you know, we was doing that. We was then nicking the vans. We were nicking the lorries. You know, slide hammering them. Um, and then we we uh, we had to go at sign ups. So what happens then? You would see the lorries coming off the motorway, and you'll see someone who's lost, and you would deliberately 
you know, get get in front of them, and you would find out where they were going. You point, so you look lost, mate. And I went, where are you going? So I'm going, I'm, I'm going to this place. So show me your ticket. Where you're going? I'll see if I, I, I might be able to direct you. So you'd see what he had on there. You know, most of them were like, you know, uh, television lorries. You know, any anything that you we could sell cigarettes, anything else like that. We would then send them in a completely different different uh, direction to where they wanted to go, and then we would go there. Mm-hmm. We would, and then what? When they turn out, we say, like, listen, mate, we've been waiting waiting forever for you. You know, we're going we're going to breakfast now." And we, we, it's going to take us another hour and a half to get you, get you started on you. And you go, I've got another delivery to make. And it's like, well, well, we can't go in and unload it because, uh, you know, they, they're just unloading the other stuff. Listen, put it on the pavement. I said, you know, and I go to my couple of guys who was in the van. John, Steve, help me unload it and I'll sign for it. That's called a sign-up. So he would then load it all on the floor and he'd thank me or thank us for helping him and so he can get on his way. And as soon as he pulled up, we would then bring our van over and fill it up. I'll tell you what, there is, there is a, a, you know, because it just, just, just in my kind of little head, I just imagine, oi, you, put the money in the bag, let's go. But it's not, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a proper operation, it's a real, yeah, real yeah. well thought out, real... We, we, you know, we, you know, we used to follow vans, we just follow vans and, you know, you've got, just say you've got a block of flats, you know, you know that this guy, he's going he's gonna to ring on, he's got a ring on the buzzer, he's got to get in the lift, he's got to go to the top floor or middle floor, wherever it is. Now that van is yours, you don't just run on it. We had we had uh, all different UPS uniforms. We had Oxfam. We had everything, every sort of uniform that we could just blend in. So if it was if it was just a normal white van, lorry, or countryside or anything like that, we just put our, we just get our barrows out and we'd walk over to it. We'd have our clips on the side. We'd clip it and then we'd and we'd load load it. We'd walk to the van and we'd, we'd just do it. And, was, and then anyone was looking at us, it just looks so normal. It's like we learned very early on in our, in our, in our criminal careers that. If you look like a criminal and you act like a criminal and you're looking around and you're doing all these things, the only person you need to worry about is a guy who's, who's, who's got the keys to the van. Um, you know, I've, that was the criminal side of it. It did have some really... Uh, I actually did save someone's life by doing that job. Really? Yeah. I, was, I, was, I, was, I won't tell you where it is, but I remember I was on this lorry and... Uh, I was on my own and I thought, you know what? As soon as I see a guy unloading, it was, there, was, there, was a, there was a pallet full of vodka and there was all chocolates on the, on the back, like two or three pallets. And I thought, well, I can, I can sell them straight away. It's not a problem. So what I did, I went to the front of the, of the, of the guy's lorry. It was a three and a half, seven ton lorry, but three and a half there on the weight inside. So what I did, I walked to the front and I, and I took his keys out of the ignition. You know, so I jumped up, took the keys and I, and I went back a bit and, and I was watching him. And... Uh, all of a sudden, I'm watching and watching and watching, and all I see is I, I see him go like that, off over. He's about fifty something years old. I was only in, in, in my twenties then. I saw him go over, and I thought, oh, "Fuck, <laughs> what's happened to him?" You know. And anyways, in the death, I just had to run up there. I ran up there and I dragged and I dragged him and I pulled him outside the, the van, outside the lorry, and I put him on the floor. And then the next thing, as I turned around, the police were there. There was a, there was a bus stop, and there was loads of people there. And, they, and I said, oh, "I just saw this guy." He just he just fell over as I was walking past. So think faster. Let yeah, me right. go. And, let me see if there's a jacket in the front. So as I went to the front, I put the keys back in there and got his jacket and I put it under his head. And um, you know they said you know they said well, you know the ambulance came and uh, they, you know I know that the Royal Free was was the nearest uh, hospital. So you know I was walking and so I never I wasn't driving. So I you know where where it was situated it's about is about you know twenty minute walk and it was near where I where I was living anyway. So. As I walked up, I walked. I went into the hospital and I said, "Like the other guy came in from from the side of the road, and blah blah blah." And I said, "Yeah, he's gone down there." Blah blah. blah. And, I, and I thought I'd just go and see how, see how he was doing. 
And when I got there, his wife and, and the kids were there. Uh, they were, you know. And 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 I said, I just want to check that he was okay. I was I was the one that saw him, you know, fall off the and fall over. And you know what? He was he had come to by that time. And he said, I can't believe how you saw me. So I can't believe it because I was right at the back. And he, he said, and his mum and you know, his, sorry, his wife and the kids were all thanking me for saving his life because he would have been dead otherwise. He would, you know, an heart attack. And I said it was just a pure, a pure fluke. That I was actually walking past and, and I saw the saw you in the corner of my eye and I saw you one minute. Knew. And I, but, so you know, out of doing something bad, something something good. Yeah, so yeah. in a criminal mind at that time, you sort of offset the good things and the bad things that happen, and you sort of justify that by that. You have so, to kind of make it yeah. not normal, but you have to kind of make it okay. Yeah. What you're doing, you know? Yeah. So so from yeah so from from doing that, then then how did how did your life kind of kind of go were you back in out of prison or did you and what, what happened then I was like um, we, we had um, we had been nicking lorries in and uh, you know we, we were get we, we were getting quite well known by the old bill and then next thing they, they flopped on us you know I remember uh, they were, I, I was living in this flat and uh, luckily they all when they all come to get me they went to the wrong the wrong, the wrong place next door so I heard the door go in next door and I thought I thought fuck I had, luckily I had my passport then I, was, I think I was 21 22 uh, so I grabbed hold of my passport and I got a phone with someone just to get me a ticket to uh, Spain. And um, they nicked all my, my couple of pals that I was working with and I, and I went over there. I thought, well, you know what, I'll stay over here for a little while and see what happens. And uh, I met some people over there because you, you just know everyone. From, you know, as soon as I landed, I phoned a friend, you know anyone here? Yeah, go and see them. This, they'll be at this bar this time. They'll have some work for you. And... Um, I went down there, and the next I spent the next couple of years um, packing puff. Okay. So I was I was picking up from the beach, I was packing it, um, then I was driving it from Marbella to Valencia, um, and yeah, it was great. I, I I really enjoyed it. You know, I was I was in the beach every day. I don't know having, having a, a you know drink you know drinking partying. Did you did you did you still see that as kind of normality and normal? Was that was that? Or or did did you, did, did you have like an inkling then that it might not be normal, or is it just what you grew up with? You know what I've I've I'd, I'd um, you know I don't know if I I sort of a death wish then, you know um, because I didn't really care, you know because I remember, you know it wasn't like it is now they got motorways but back in the old days when when we were doing it they had they had a roads so you had and on them a roads they had roadblocks all the time, so you took your life in your hand when you'd done it so you know we normally have three cars. Uh, one at the back, one at the front, and me in the middle. Um, and and, and you know, if anything looked like it happened, he would speed up or phone me um, and say, like, you know, there's, um, there's a roadblock coming up, turn off. But if you missed it, then the car behind who had English plates would then speed up and go. So we had we had a little procedure, but it was quite, it's quite you know, it was nervy from the, you know, I remember going, going there and I could feel the sweat, you know, from starting to drive. And as soon as I got, I got you know, a, f- a few hundred, like hundred and something kilometres into no man's land, which it was, Going up to Memphis, like, you you know you saw the old bill because you had, you had the the normal police, uh, so, uh, and then you had the Garda Seville, and when you saw them, they were the hardcore. They were they were the ones that wanted us, you know. So you know we I, we had the nice cars and we had um, our shirts and all that up and in, in the window, so it looked like we were we were working up and down there. So we you know uh, we we filled up uh, down that in with petrol, so we had enough to get us all the way there. Uh, so you didn't speak English because you know normally they would say there's English firm coming up and then uh, we would just drive through through the day and uh, a bit the sweat I, 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 can, I can remember I was just saturated with sweat thinking 
fuck, you know, if this goes wrong and I'm going to be in a Spanish prison, no one knows where I am, no one knows who I am over there because none of my family knew what I was doing mm. uh, back in England. Um, but it was just saying, you know, you just thought, well, you know what, it was, you know, would they would, would they differ in, in in the way they treated you in Spanish prison to English prison? Have you, have you yeah yeah you I've had, I've had a few yeah yeah I've had I've had a few people nicked that I knew over there over the years uh, mostly in French prisons because um, you know we used, we used to yeah yeah the, the group the groups I knew were you know they were quite they were quite prolific they've been nicked in France been nicked in Spain everywhere and you know the stories that we heard I think the only thing you could guarantee if you got nicked that you were you were fluent in Spanish or French. Right. when you came out so there was a plus side to it if anything you learn a language you learn a language <laughs> uh, so yeah it's something to look forward to I was pretty lucky though that, that I was uh, I, I had the luck of the Irish um, and I can always remember uh, I don't know if it was like a, a, a thing that I used to do I used, the only song that I could always remember when doing it was Roblox okay. and I used to sing Roblox Roblox da, 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 and, was, and I couldn't get it in my head you know so but I don't know. I just I just sang it, and I sang. You know, we had a, I think a few Elvis tapes I put in there, and, yeah. and I just got my got through then, and we got down the other end. We'd done what we had to do, and then we came back to England, and then, you know, you know, I think I think the markup then was quite good. I think you could buy a kilo of puff for about three three and a half grand, then two and a half grand, and you you'd buy it over there for a couple hundred quid. Right. So the markup was really good. You know, I you know I remember buying my first Jeep. Range Rover, uh, you know, I'd made it. You know, as far as I was concerned, I was, I was, I had a nice little flat in, you know, Swiss Cottage. I had, I had a Shogun, a Range Rover. I had a people carrier. You know, girlfriend had. I had a couple of kids then as well, and and I thought I was Jack the Lad. I thought I was invincible, you know. Mm. Um, but you know, you know, something happened over there. One of, one of my friends got killed in a car crash, right. and um, so I moved to Amsterdam. Okay. So you know, I was, and I started over there doing doing other things, uh, and then and then uh, I, you know I stayed there for quite a while, and that was quite heavy. That's quite a heavy situation. I was working uh, with Serbians in the army, Yugoslavians, and uh, it's pretty rough. You know, it's pretty rough there. You know what I mean? But you know, it was it was a, it was a living. You know, I was driving driving stuff about, you know, ecstasy and everything else. Um, was this like nineties kind of time? Yeah, yeah, it was when it was really big over here. Yeah, I was gonna say you right. know, it was, and you know what? Was, you know, money was like it was nothing. You know, I was going out every single night. You know, it was the lifestyle I was living there was unbelievable. You know, I was in the restaurants every night. You know, whore asses. You know, morning, noon, and night. It was it was really crazy. It was like being in a candy shop for you know. I don't know if you've ever been to Amsterdam, I haven't did you. Yeah. yeah, it's you know seeing it, and then then all of a sudden you get to a point where you just don't do it anymore. Right. You know, so you go through it, and then all of a sudden you you live there. You're living there now, and you're working. And then you go for a different thing where you go to restaurants and you meet people. The only people I met were actually, you know, they were growers, or they were they were sellers of, of you know different things, you know. And so you had to mix them. But I said it got quite hairy out there. I got a few friends of mine who got shot, um, you know, and then people were killing people over thirty quid, over thirty grand. Right. You know, they you know you know they would go on meets and they would be shot, you know, thirty for two or three kilos of, of coke. So you know, I thought you know what, I've, I've had enough of this. I'm coming back, and I and I and I came back after someone got shot. I thought I'd better get out of there a bit quick, yeah. and um, came back to England, um, and then I started working for a, for a little Colombian firm, you know, like a cartel that I knew out out there. They was in England, and uh, they never they they could get it into England, but they never had a good outlet for it. 
So all of a sudden, I've come back to have, a, have an easy life, sort of. I've got money. I got I bought a nice house, two houses. Then we had uh, my girlfriend, um, and I thought, you know what? I've, I've cracked it now. What I'm going to do? I'm going to sell both these houses. I'm going to move to Spain, and then I met this little. You know, I've started working with these guys, and um, you know what they were offering me was unbelievable. You know, they offered me a living like you know where you you would only dream of. You know, like talking like giving me like ten, fifteen k of cocaine every day. My hardest problem was just just getting it around London, you know, just getting it to the people, you know, in the quickest amount of time because it was just all over. I was delivering, uh, and it was going really well. Um, I'd cracked it. I was only loads of money. I was I was uh, I was mixing some really good people, um, and then we had nine eleven. You know, when the tower blocks went up, and the guy, one of the guys that was dropping off for me, he uh, he he was watched it all night and got got a bit pissed and was doing Charlie. And, and I'd arranged for, a, I tend to pick up 12 key that morning of Coke. And um, he phoned me and said, I can't make it. So, you know, so what we did, we cancelled everyone. But one guy had already already made his way down. So I said, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll drop that off. I'll pick that two key up and I'll drop it down there. And like an idiot, I went and picked it up. And, uh, and as I, I dropped it off to him, he then went into a block of flats. I thought he was giving it to the people that, um, that were buying it. But he had gone to his own flat and was, was uh, taking stuff out of it. And I was downstairs. Next thing, the whole the whole car went in. I'd, I'd uh, I think we had a Mercedes then. Every window in the in the car went went through. It was you know, and, and everybody in the street came alive. It was old Bill. Uh, there was traffic wardens, everything. And it was all old Bill. It was on him. And then unfortunately, I got I got done when he walked out. I got done with for association. I got six years. Six years. Which was, um, you know, it's part of the course. We live the life and uh, we expect what we get. But it wasn't, it wasn't good because, you know, you know, one minute I was out in, uh, in, in someone's house, I think it was worth about £12 million. Pound. The night before I was in a party. Uh, and my girlfriend at that time was, was uh, a sister, was, was a celebrity. I won't mention her name for obvious reasons. Sure. But I was out, I used to go with Kate Moss and Jude Law every night, Hugh McGregor, all that lot. You know, we used to live in that sort of lifestyle. And, you know, I, I, was, I was going ice skating with them, going to the cinema, the theatre. And uh, the next day I was sitting in the cell with all graffiti on the wall. Um, Literally world crashing down, huh? Like, yeah, just... just thinking, fuck, you know, like, I wish I never got up that morning. I wish I'd never done it. I had someone to do it. It was just pure... You know, I didn't want to let someone down for some reason. An obligation to give them some, some drugs. But, you know, I did. Uh, and, and, you know, and now I was sitting in the cell. It was... Uh, it was it had no windows. It stunk in there. The toilet with no seat, a sink with, with just scouring all the crap around it, and the floor. You know, it stunk. And I'm, I, had, I had one sheet and one blanket and no pillow. And I was sitting there looking at everything. Fuck, fucking hell. I think it was just crazy. It was really like it was like it was a moment I'll never forget. Because I, in the same time, there was a there was a cross on the wall, and the sh- the light was shining on the cross. And I picked the cross off. On a, it was on a plastic uh, thing, and I put it on. And uh, I don't know why, because I don't, I don't, I don't, I never even believed in God or anything before. But I thought, you know, I'm going to keep that because there's, there's, there's something there, you know. And I kept it all the way through my bird. But um, but I, I went to court, and I got, and I, got uh, I got six years. And with that, they confiscated my my house. My girlfriend kept the other one. And like most most things uh, in life, especially when you're involved in, in crime and drugs. 
the relationships you have are based on drugs and nothingness and that that relationship went down the pan straight away um and there i was sitting in prison doing six years with with nothing right. i was on my own again uh, they confiscated all my money all my house everything else and uh and that was it. I was quite an angry, bitter, twisted guy that wanted to get it all back. And this was this was uh, six years in a in the mainstream prison, or in this was in the mainstream yeah. prison. Okay. This was um, yeah. It was it was I I done Pentonville, Wandsworth, and I ended up in Swaleside. It was one of the, you know so it's a dispersal prison, and it's just like it's like the OK Corral, right. you know. It was like you know just everyone down the gym, everyone you know on steroids, everyone trying to be as big as they can. And the violence was just unbelievable there. You know, people were getting killed. People were getting cut. You know, there was fighting every day. It was like, it was a, you know, it was, it was a jungle. It was, it was a nut ass, you know. And, but it was normal. It was just, like, I'd been there so long and been through the system before, like, I was home, you know, it was crazy. Uh, but I just couldn't wait, you know. But he never held anything for me because I'd already done a prison sentence and I knew what was coming and I'd heard all the same jokes. I'd heard all the same stories and, you know, people become legends in their own heads in prison. Um, and you listen to it, and after a while, you just get so bored of it. So, you know, I started just reading a lot, trying to educate myself a little bit better in that time I spent now. Um, but I was, as I said, I was really bitter. You know, so I wanted to, I wanted to hit the street rolling when I got out. And I'd done all the rehabilitation programs that didn't work, mm. unfortunately. Um, and then when I got out, I just, I just was straight back in it. You know, after, after, I think I'd done four years out of that six. And uh, I landed on the street and um, and I went bang out straight away. Straight again, yeah? Yeah, but this time I learned, I learned a, lot, a lot. You know, I learned that guns weren't the right thing because they were giving out 25-year sentences. There was also shooting armed robbers on sight, you know, and, they, and if they do a ready eye on you, which is if they, observe, if they were looking at you, looking at a job, they would, they would wait for you to come out and then shoot you. That was, you know, you know, it was happening. It's the harsh kind of reality, I suppose, yeah. in amongst it, yeah. Right. So we, so we decided to, to do it a different way. You know, we, um, we actually procured a load of uh, police uniforms, police hats, everything, everything, all the paraphernalia that a policeman would have, uh, and with the cars, with the cars as well, the vans, and we even, we even had an Alsatian dog, and then we, what we did, we started doing uh, warehouses uh, with computers, you know, computer chips. You know, we would, we would go there and we would you know, say, like, we believe there's drugs coming to the premises or, or firearms and everything. And uh, from our protection and my officer's protection, we're going to have to handcuff everyone here, bring the dogs in, and then uh, see, see, you know, see what, what the state of play was before we let you go. We'd handcuff everyone. And then we'd bring our vans in and we'd, uh, we'd load up. Mm. Um, it was really like taking uh, candy from a baby. Um, it was just so easy. We just we just carried on doing it for a, for a, for a while. Do you get do you get do you get a rush and a thrill? Does that does that still come with it, or is it or is it was it, was it just something that you you know? So you just do it because it's all you know. Or? Well, you know, we got done in in two thousand and eight for Verizon. Uh, that was um, in Kings Cross. You know, that was quite a rush. They, they had eight security guards there, state of the art um, biometric hand scanners, keypads, uh, airlock doors. Um, you know, it was right next to a police station. There was actually three police stations, one at the, one at the back of it in uh, Kentish Town, Ivory and Islet, and then you had Al Albany Street. And on the back of this place was the canal, so you couldn't get away. There was one way in and one way out, and it was like Fort Knox, in a big turret, 
it was lit up like a Belisha beacon. And, uh, but it was a challenge, you know, lots of firms in the area had looked at it that we knew uh, and said it was too much of a high risk to actually go in there. But they had, uh, they had motherboards and everything. I think uh, Morgan, uh, Morgan Stanley owned, owned the properties and they was one of their biggest contrib- contributors to it. They had 100, ring, 100 rooms of motherboards and computers, but they had one room that was, was, was where they kept all the, the mother load of boards. Uh, so we looked at it for a couple of weeks and um, we decided to go and do it. You know, we, you know, and, and uh, it's getting back to your original questions. How do you feel? I f- you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, so it's a lot of it is stupidity. Because not why would you why would you put yourself on offer to go and do something like that, knowing full well you're going to get ten or fifteen years. But the anxiety that goes with it, I think everyone acts differently. Um, you know, got one of my guys was always making jokes. You know, um, because that's how he dealt with it. Another, another someone else would be would be really quiet. You know, wouldn't make, wouldn't say nothing. Would just be on point. Everyone, everyone had their little things that they went through. I know for me, I, I would always, I would always go through a job a hundred times in my head. I'd go a hundred different ways, in and out. You know, if the old bill come, what I would do. Um, if the people started uh, acting uh, why they shouldn't, uh, well, I would uh, overpower them. So it sort of didn't leave any time to, to be nervous, but it also. I think whenever you do uh, that sort of work, there's always an anxiety, there's always a dread and a fear, an adrenaline rush that, that can't be that can't be beaten or replaced with anything else I've ever done. Wow. Um, there's also a camaraderie between the guys because you know you're going to do something that no one, no one would even consider. Anyone in their right mind wouldn't even consider. You're going to a place with with eight security guards. You're going to a place where they've got probably 15 guys doing maintenance work and cleaners and everything else. So you're going to go in here knowing full well that the old bill could come past at any time. Someone could press a panic alarm. There's, there's all cameras there linked to the police stations and everything else. And you're going to walk in here as old bill and you're going to do this. And you don't really know what's going to happen until you walk in there. So, you know, so a part of it is stupidity, as I said. Um, but part of it is there's something to do that, 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 that no one else can do. Yeah, yes, it's, it's a, you know you, you you go in there and you're you're all all powerful and all consuming, and then you start. And then you know you go and you've got. I, you know I was a leader of our gang, and um, and you know what everyone was on point. They all listened to me. So when I went in there, they, I, I you know I just led it, and then I I pull the biggest one normally, the security guard, take him away, cuff him up, and then come back, and then then they would all go and say right, we'll be quite forceful, quite uh, in your face. Um, but we would also let them know that uh, nothing was going to happen to them. We have to find out who they are before we can we can proceed to, uh, to search the whole premises because we would normally say we've had reports of someone getting in through the roof or someone dressed as a, as a, as a security guard, you know, and then, then that would sort of calm them down a bit. It'd just give us enough time before they sort of realised what was going on to cuff them and put them in a place. So, so that, 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 that first couple of minutes was always the worst for me. But it was also the most exhilarating, simply because it had to be done, no, no matter what. You know, you had to do it because if you if you messed up, then it, it, it could have a knock-on effect. You know, people could get nicked. You know, people can get twenty years. So we had to be done properly. So once we secured everyone, and I was comfortable, and then 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 it, it just seems to be really easy. It, everything just was like a film, believe it or not. You know, we would we would we would get to the rooms. We'd put one guy on on reception. So if anyone phoned up. We'd say, you know, because one did, a company did phone up. They had a live feed on on the, the on the computers, and they said it's been switched off, which we turned them off. 
and we just said there's been a power surge in the computer system. It'd be up in 10 or 15 minutes uh, and then put the phone down. Um, and then we had um, maintenance men coming in and instead of tying them up, we let them go to their floors. We said, oh, you know, this floor is out of bounds, blah, 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 and let them, you know. Uh, so that was quite airy because I, I can remember being on the floor and then my mate telling them where to go and, and feeling if they come onto this floor, I've got, to, I've got to weigh them in and put them on the floor. And there's two of them. Everyone's doing their job. And, there's, and I'm, I'm on my own here to lift. I have to, I have to sort of orchestrate everything. You're looking after the people. You're going to get the motherboards. You're doing your job, but overseeing everything and also checking that, that what's going on. Um, so, yeah, there was that anxiety about that. But the minute we'd done it and we was walking out of there, you know, it was great. You know, you, how, much, how much did you walk out with? I think they, they said we, we walked out with five million pounds worth of uh, computer equipment on that one. Right. Uh, we shut down three countries, apparently, on their data centres. Really? Um, and you know, they, you know, I, over the, over the next couple of days, because you know, you do it. We went and dumped the cars. We went and dumped the stuff. We put everything away. The next day, I, I can remember that loads of firms phoning me up. You know, I was and I was I've been up all night. You know, because uh, we 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 done the job. Uh, you know, we went back and we sort of celebrated. We you know the way we celebrate is we talk about it. You know, you talk about it and you, you have a little joke and you sort of let steam off and then you go home. Okay. And then and then we sell the stuff and and that's the next day or the next couple of days. But, um, I can remember sitting indoors the next day. I was I was uh, yeah I was I was in I was on I think I was I was in a, I rented out a little place a little cottage and uh, a couple of my mates phoned me and said fuck God there's, there's there's been a job in Camden Town Kings Cross uh, a proper firm have come into London they're a foreign firm they're Russians or something they said. Uh, and they've done this job, and they've 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 tied all these security guys. They've got millions of pounds worth of data from from credit card details and everything. And they've smashed it. They've come in. They've done it. Uh, and I go, God, that's crazy. And then another firm would phone me up and say, You won't believe what just happened last night. What? And they go, Listen, I said, You didn't do it, did you? And they go, No, it ain't fucking me. You know what I mean? They go, And they, they say, we, we we thought it might have been you. I said, Don't be stupid. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then I, you know, so we had we had three or four of them saying it, and it was like. That's when it sort of hit you home. We'd, we'd really taken a liberty now. Right. And we didn't realise that we had taken the biggest liberty in, in, in London at that time for computer because they were being done all, all over the place. You know, 300,000 quid here, 300,000 quid here. It wasn't, such a, it wasn't such a hit. But we'd gone right into the heart of London and we took the biggest liberty. And next thing, they had a 70 strong uh, team on us. Wow. Um, uh, which, which, which really put a. a a noose around my neck, basically, because <laughs> every Stay every old there. bill, yeah, right. every old bill wanted that our scalp now. And you know what? Um, we was pretty lucky because we were pretty tight. We was a proper little tight firm. Uh, we, we didn't. We wasn't like most. We didn't go out every night. We all had our separate lives, and that was the beauty of it. You know, I you know I live somewhere, they live somewhere, and we just worked together. We wasn't going out every night. We wasn't barbecuing it. We wasn't doing nothing. We would just say, like, we've got a bit of work on here. I trust you, trust you, trust you. And we've, we've known each other for years. So no one, no one would speak out of school. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we, uh, a job was done. Um, the real old bill turned up. A couple of them got, got a, a whack. Um, and one of our guys got nicked. Um, and then uh, through known associates... They went, they, 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 they went through his known associates and I was one of them. Right. So what I did, I then showed my picture to the old Bill, showed my picture to the, all the security guards that had been done over, the, over that period of time or whatever. 
And um, next thing I knew, they was after me. And then everywhere I went, they were coming through the door. Seriously. You know, they, you know, they've been through every single door. You know, luckily I was, all my friends got nicked. And I, from prison, I'm always up at R5. Because when you're in prison, you have to be up early. Because when that door opens is when someone can come in your cell and do you. You know, I've seen so many people asleep in their bed and they've been whacked. So, you know, it's, just, it's a thing that I get up at R5 every morning, if not earlier. I'm up and ready for the world. And luckily that, that's, that sort of came out with me outside because I'm always up early. And I can remember being up, my girlfriend was asleep. And uh, I saw a guy, he just didn't look right. Just didn't look right. And uh, so I thought, you know what, I didn't even say anything. I never said anything. I never took nothing. I left my jacket there. Everything I owned just took my, my, I had my jeans on and my top. And I went and my car keys. And uh, I went and never even told her. And uh, as, I, as I came uh, down, as a block of fats it was, I came down one end of about for a little little ladder that got me all the way down to the bottom. And I jumped from that to the, to the ground, to the, from, from the first floor. And as I walked around the corner, I saw them all going in. There's about 20 old bill with shields and everything girls, dogs. And I thought, fucking hell, it was a bit of luck. And then I, I disappeared. And then I went on the run for a year. Right. You know, I went and bought, you know, well, I rented that canal boat, a uh, uh, little place, and I just went on the, on the run. All my mates got nicked. They all they all got sentenced to 10s and 11 years. And uh, was, that, was, that, was, that, was that scary being on the run, or was, that, or was it still part of that exhilarating thing, or what? I don't know, yeah. For me, you know what? It was it was quite exhilarating for me, you know, because what I did, I went to the, I used to go to the gym every day. So what I did, I did, it was just like a normal, so I, I moved up to um, Dunstable. I met a really nice girl up there. Uh, she was a champion bodybuilder and shit. Then her brother owned the gym. So I started in the gym every day. I created a new me. Um, I told him I, had, I was a fast response uh, a police instructor for cars. So that kept everyone away from me then. Because okay. if they thought I was old Bill, it kept all the criminals away from me. Mm. Um, I, used to, I, used to, used to, I used to train with the old Bill up in Dunstable. Really? Yeah. Uh, there's loads of police used to come in there. I had a police <laughs> ID. And believe it or not, it was, it was Darren Brown. Right, you know the illusionist, yeah, yeah. and I'm a police ID because I used to get into the gym for half price because that's what I did, and I just done it as, as a joke with this girl, and then we started talking, and I ended up going out of her, blah blah, and and I used to go to the gym, but I used to train with all the old Bill, it was, it was, it was surreal, wow. and they said where do you work, and I said Kentish Town, and and they said what's happening, I said I'm just on leave at the moment, I said, I've had a, I've had a, just a garden leave, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I just actually actually quite I liked it, and uh, but it was quite a buzz, and. Yeah. Um, you know, I got a car in my in someone else's name, a friend's mine. So I was driving around, and, and nothing had really changed. The only thing that changed, I couldn't go down and see my kids or or my family. And then when I did go down there, and I went to West Hampstead, they got fa- facial recognition now. Oh really? And I, I, I didn't realise at the time that they would they would be on every every station, and it pinged me, uh, pinged me up, and then it pinged me back at the other end. So I got in a league grave. Uh, so I had a little place there, a little uh, place in, in a house there. And uh, I came out one morning and um, I was talking to a friend of mine in London because I was, I was still active. I was still doing bits of graft. Um, and then um, I was walking along and all of a sudden I saw a car coming towards me on the grass and, and there was a wall there and I thought, where the fuck, where's he going? And as I looked around, another one came. So I jumped up in the air and they, 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 they sort of come together. And as I rolled, rolled onto the bonnet, uh, a van pulled up and uh, all the old Bill come out with and just started weighing me in, you know. But they was all balaclavered up. They was all like, you know, they was all like covered up. So I actually thought I was getting kidnapped, right? Because I, you know, I don't know, you know, like cause, you know, in that, in that world we do some crazy things, and I thought something to come on top. And it's actually quite a relief to know there was old Bill, 
You know, that, that, you know, but it was also a massive relief that it was finally over. Right. You know, that, you know, I, I can remember sitting on the floor handcuffed and, and they was all patting themselves on the back saying, we've got him, we've got him. You know, they were jumping for joy. There was, there was about 20, 30 of them all standing around. And I looked at it and they, and they still didn't realise it was me because they was expecting someone who was six foot four. Someone because one of their mates got done on a, on a bit of work. The copper had said that I was six foot four, even though I wasn't even on that job. But, um, you know, they, they, they was expecting a bear, they said, because the guy said I was a bear and then blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so, you know, when they saw me, they kept saying, you, you're not as tall as we thought you were going to be. <laughs> you weren't the man we thought you were. Come <laughs> well, on, we grow a bit. <laughs> but where I was training, I was really skinny. I wasn't, I wasn't training for muscle. I was just doing pull-ups and I was looking, I was really lean and, 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 and I was really fit. So I, I went for that look. I, I'd shrunk right down, which is, which is good. And I was just blending in. I didn't feel nothing of it, but... I can remember going back to Kentish Town and when I walked into the, into the police station, because it's my local uh, police station, because I knew them all there for years. And all I, they all over there, like, oh, we, got, we got him there. And it was all clapping. And I thought, oh, God. So, you know, I, I, I spent f uh, three days in the cell. Never said nothing, as you normally do. And then um, I, I went, I had to go on an ID parade. And uh, so I was, I, was in, I, was in, I was in a block in, in there for about a week because I, I, I wasn't twos up in the cell so I, I, I could turn down the block so I went in the block for a week and then I, I went on a production order for, a, for an ID parade and then um, they, they took me to Highbury and Islington first of all and I had like I had an old bill from everywhere come and visit me about the MO and all that and then they, they took me to Highbury and it was shut and then they took me to Kentish Town and they said well you've got to go from here to, to St Anne's ID suite I thought, oh, fucking hell, you know what I mean? Like, this is going to be a proper drama, you know, it was just lagging out. And as he put the cuffs on me, he was loose. And I had eight old Bill with me at that time. And um, I'm sitting in, I'm, I'm now in the van with, with uh, three old Bill, one driving, two at the back, and there's two escorts. I mean, there's eight old Bill, two, a car in front, a car at the back, and a police van. And they're taking me out to this place, and as soon as we've gone through St Anne's, I've, as I'm driving along, I can, I can remember the, uh, the old Bill trying to say, listen, if you, uh, if you tell us about all your friends and everything, we can give you a couple of years. And I said, I'll piss off. I said, I'll be home tonight. I'll be home by dinner time. And they just said, you ain't going fucking nowhere. You ain't going to go nowhere for years, son. You know what I mean? So I, we had a laugh and a joke, and I just left it at that. But while I was talking to him, my, my cuff slipped off. It had come off, and I, and I was thinking, God, I'm going to be out of here in a minute. So when we pulled up with St. Anne's, the, the guy who was driving, he was a big guy. He was about, he was about six foot three, big lump. I thought he was the only one. I could, oh, if if he got me in a corner, I'll have trouble whacking him and getting him out. But there was a voice inside my head saying, like, you know, don't do it. Just don't. Just 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 do the bird, man. Just fucking do it, you know. And there's a and there's the other side that's always been there. It was a lot stronger, saying, just fucking get out of cell. Just do it. Just whack him. So he got he got out and he went he went to the door and then buzzed him. They buzzed him in. And I was with two guys in their forties and fifties, uh, and then there was uh, there's all the other guys in the cars and they just stayed in the car. I know. And then when I came in, it was a 10-foot gate and, and the wall was about 15 foot, it was. There's all cars running in vans. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do them both. Anyway, he, he, the guy behind me picked up a paper, started reading it. And the guy that was nearest to the door, because, you know, they're all on central locking them doors. I, if I whacked him, I didn't know whether the door was going to open or whatever. And then all of a sudden, he, he clicked it and he opened it and he, and he stepped down. So I just thought, fuck it, bam. I, wait, I just weighed him in. And um, as I ran around the corner, um, I had one cuff that was sticking out here because it's one of them rigid ones. Yeah. Um, I ran around and just because like, it was quite, it was about 50 or 60 yards away as I ran the corner. And as I went running around the corner, they've all come flying now, all the old Bill out the cars and everything else. There's three old Bill come through the gate. 
I couldn't even get over the, over the fence. So I run now, I run on top of the, the, the car on, onto the roof and jumps onto, onto a van and jumped onto the wall. And as I'm trying to pull myself up, this, 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 um, this uh, cuff. cuff is sticking in me, but I'm just, I'm, and I'm now sort of, I'm laughing to myself that I'm going to be home. I'm, I'm, I'm free. I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to be home. And I've done it. I beat them all again. And all of a sudden, someone grabbed hold of my leg. I had a whack on the back of back on someone I was around my throat. And the next thing, I just landed on the floor, you know, and, I got, and they started weighing me in. They busted my eyes, my shoulder, three broken ribs. Uh, and then luckily, my, my, my solicitor came through the door. He drove in. Timing. He, 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 drove, he just drove in there. And, uh, and they had handcuffed me now. And, and they, were, they were marching me to the van. And they said, what's going on here? And I said, you ain't going to believe this. I just got out of the van. They just all jumped me. And he went, God, leave me alone. And they said, no, it was all like, you know, they're sort of going off. They know you tried to escape. And I said, this is a joke. Look, they've cuffed me and I'm, you know, blah, blah. And uh, he said, if I see one, one more mark on that man, <laughs> I was, I'd have busted eye and everything. Uh, and then they, then they put me in the, they put me face down on, on the, in the van and they took me back to uh, Pennonville. A lucky escape, jeez. Well, no, no, they, well, it was a lucky, it would have been a lucky escape. But I ended up going back to Pennonville um and they put me in a suit you know the escape suit mm-hmm. so but what happened then is that they said that because of the way i'd acted that i was a little bit off key because most people think about things and they don't act on them and that was always a problem with me is that i would think about something and i would do it and that's the difference between most people they would think about it most people you know that do anything think about it first and then act on their thoughts and feelings but most people have uh, the capacity to actually think about something and then say, you know what, that's, that's, that's going cool to get me somewhere. But there was always a yeah. voice that said, you know, I think, I think you can do that. Good idea, Tom. Good, Good idea. idea. <laughs> and uh, you know, so they said that I was a bit off-key. And for that, I, I would be advised to see a psychologist. And I said, you know what, you know, do one because I ain't seeing no one. And about three, three weeks later, I've been, I've been in the patches now. You know, I, you know, I was segregated from everyone. I'd, I was escorted to my dinner. I was moved from cell to cell every other day. I stripped in. I couldn't wear my clothes in. You know, just his suit. I took all my clothes off me every single night. It was it was a proper pain because now I couldn't mix with anyone. And um, in about I don't know three or four weeks later, this psychologist came into my cell and uh, said, like, you know, I'm here to talk to you. And I was so bored from sitting in my cell 24 hours a day that I said, you know what? Yeah, come on, let's have a... Let's have. First of all, I said, yeah, well, I don't really need to talk to you, darling. You know, um, I've got no problems. You know, I'm quite normal. Yeah. You know? And she went, yeah, I'm, I've been reading your reports. Um, blah, blah, blah. So, so I then went with her and we sort of sat in a room or, you know, it was, it was a screws office there and, and there was a, a, a sort of a makeshift office here, but all glass. So it was like, you know, it was like one... I don't know, one flew over the cooker's nest or whatever, but the screws, five or six screws were there. I was in a see-through glass Tupperware box and uh, the rest of the cons were walking around and everything else and I was stuck in there with this, this lady. And, um, and we started speaking. And uh, I don't know, for, for me, it was, a, it was a moment, you know. Um, but, you know, just, it just unleashed uh, all, the, all the crap that I'd been building up over the years. But so, so to, to, to finally let it out was, was, uh, was, was really rewarding. Right. Um, but also I had to sort of cope with the fact that I was still in prison, so I couldn't be weak. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, every time I think about it now, it's sort of, as you see, I could, I could, I could feel myself, mm. you know, but. What was, um, what, what, what was the initial thing that she said to you that made you go, actually, there might be something here? Do you know what? I was just talking about my, my childhood, yeah. you know, going to care, 
uh, being away from your family, um, being away from my kids, just normal, you know, the things that you dismiss, you know, the things that you push down. Um, so for me, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a moment. And I think that was the first time ever that I thought, you know what, there, there's something definitely wrong with you. You know, there's something that, that you, because I, I never had no empathy. I never could feel for anyone. I never even gave them a second thought. And, and I lived my life like that. But to actually start feeling empathy and start feeling feelings was, again, was, was quite, it was quite a moment, you know, even now. Because I think once you open that box, you know, I've got a little dog there. I've got my cavapoo there. And, you know, if any of them is doing it, I, I, I cheer up, you know. But they, for me, it opened, it opened that, that Pandora's box of emotions. Uh, I saw her for about six months and um, we started speaking and uh, it was a good, it was a great help. And then, and then she left. And then I had to go back, back to me and being me again. So the armor came on. But in that, in that moment, in that, that period of time, we, uh, we discussed a, a place called Grendon Underwood. There's a, ther a therapy uh, prison in, uh, uh, in Aylesbury. It has 228 men. Um, some of the most violent and dangerous men in the country. Pedophiles, rapists, child killers, serial killers, you name it there. Um, but it was, it was like the gold... The gold American card of psychology and uh, psychiatric uh, treatment and everything else. So, you know, you you go into you go into groups, you know, and you discuss everything. You know, you have to have a real good trust with with the guys. But and you do an induction process for twelve weeks, and then uh, while I was on the induction process, someone got killed in there. Right. Got, well, yeah, um, and I thought, God, I'm, I've I've come from from a mainstream prison where you know it was happening, and it's, and it's still happening here. Still, still, uh, someone just got killed. I've only been there a couple of weeks, but I hadn't, get, you know. So the whole process of the induction process was about seeing if that, if I could, I'd done lots of biometric tests, see if I was capable of, of uh, learning, change, and understanding things. And I passed that with flying colours. I was a sociopath for the of the month, um, or whatever other label they put on me. Um, and then, and then for three months, I was in in sort of miniature groups with these guys. But not really explaining any any therapy, you know. We were just talking about our crimes and bits and pieces, but nothing really in depth. It was just to see how we all interacted and how we can cope with other other prisoners. You know, you know, you've got a guy coming in front of you, like I said, you know, who's just broke his kid's back, you know, and and broke all his ribs and that, and he's talking to you. Another guy who's killed his daughter, another guy who's raped raped a load of old women. And all of a sudden you're in, in the company with people that you'd never ever dreamed of actually being around. And now you're after it to treat them like human beings and humanise them in such a way that you've never even considered before. So that first 12 weeks for me was hard, you know. I had to, you know, and also humanising officers, or screws as I used to call them, um, because you couldn't read the paper. You, know, you couldn't have your telly on either in, in this place. In the so daytime, it was it was it was, it was, a it was a constant therapeutic. Is it constant? The whole yeah. the whole it was the whole thing was twenty four hours a day therapy. But that first twelve weeks was the first from the start from the first day is for the first time for for years in in quite a few years I I actually gone to a table and, and eaten. Wow. I'd already eaten on myself just standing up. Um, but now I was around the table with four other guys, you know that, you know. So that was quite surreal. Um, I was also to read the paper. I couldn't just take it out of the office or take it into a, a room. I had to read it in front of the officers. So that made I had to go in there, which was they were the enemy. As far as they was always the enemy because I got some serious beatings when I was in prison over the years, and and they were you know for me they were the scum of the earth for most of them. 
Uh, they were mostly ex in back in the day. They were ex servicemen, and they didn't think twice about giving you a good kicking uh, for no other reason than they, they they could. You know, if you was in a the block, they would just do it. They, it was every day. Um, so to be in so to be in this this, uh, this room with them and to start talking to them and, and then realizing that they were actually human beings was was another epiphany that needed to to try to experience that you know what they're not all like that there are good and bad everywhere uh, even officers so you know so over that 12 week i started talking to them started getting to know them started calling them by their first name well wow. which is great because normally you call him governor screw you know what i mean definitely never, definitely, yeah. definitely humanizes somebody to give them the, yeah so, first so, name so that was the first that, so that was the process so eating talking to them and doing a thought diary for the first time ever writing something out wow so i've done this thought diary of how i felt and how they made me feel and how i felt about other situations so i wrote i just kept writing and it's quite it's quite a, a fight for me um and also you know i met i met a few people I'm, I got quite an eclectic. My wife, my first wife, was Indian. I got mixed race uh, kids, and and my family are all we were quite integrated from a young age. But it was quite some misogynistic people there. Something I never really understood. You know, talking about women, derogatory, um, and also racist there. So I, you know, for me, I, had to, I I couldn't just let it go. Hmm. You know, I always say something, and you know, I remember pulling this guy up for racist jokes, and I expected to explain to him my wife was Indian. If you if you had done it again, I was going to brain you. You know, um, but I couldn't threaten him because I was there. Because you, 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 when you go there, you sign a compact that you can't threaten anyone. Threats to kill, you'll be voted out. Any 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 sign of aggression, you'll be gone. So you had to sort of conduct yourself in a way where you articulated something. So I had to explain to him that if he carried on, I would I would, I would, uh, I would seriously hurt him. You know, in a, bit, in a nice way. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so that, I, I came across that. Um, but just, just you know, so so we done the thought the thought diary was great because it's very cathartic, and then I and then I, and then they saw my behaviours come out. Then you know the confrontation with him, that I was able to confront him and then actually learn from it without actually hitting him. So they knew that they are there that they could work with me. So we done I done this in front of people, because you know if I'd have been on my own I'd have weighed him in. So I had to do it in that, in that environment in that in that therapeutic setting to tell him exactly what I thought of him and how it evoked memories and, and shit, but being a bully and all that crap. And, uh, and, you know, and also being a misogynist for someone else um, and, and the way they treat people. So it was actually really rewarding for me to talk in that, that setting without having to whack anyone it's, for the it's, first time. It's a, it's, it's a very lengthy process to go through because normally it'd be a one bomb, that's it. Whereas yeah. now, now you've got to really like express, okay, so you're making me feel this way. This is how, well, you know, so it's, it's a, different, a well, different way of doing things. I think, I think for me, I, you know, I always had one, one tool that I would go to and that was violence. Mm. You know, I never had any other tools in my armory. You know, I never, I never had anyone to sort of uh, grow as, a, as an adult. You know, I never had a father that would say, you know what, you're 11 years old now. You know, from this day forward, you're going to articulate a response to any given situation and stop hitting anyone. But, you know, I never had that. So, you know, all we had, all we had was, uh, you know, I, you know I, was, I was surrounded by loads of people that, that you know, violence was, was what, if you were right, if you were wrong, you were right because you, you had the biggest punch or you had the most violence. So it is... So, but I'm now in this in this in this environment where the only tool I was at, and I had to sort of get, I had to sort of learn really quick. You know, how do I how do I get through this? You know, so for the first time in my life, I'm I'm trying to circumnavigate myself for a minefield of emotions. You know, and taking in everyone's offences. I mean, I'm talking about most horrendous offences you could imagine, and and also deal with that. So you know, so, you know you got to, you got to deal with that 
conflict resolution, anger, you know, and it's, and it's all happening, it's going on in, in your head at the same time, which is great. <laughs> how hard how how hard was it to, to switch on that emotive kind of or not not switch on but kind of but kind of find that emotion that 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 um, actual like that like self analytical thing how how hard was that to grasp or was it something that was so like I think I think once you I think once you start doing therapy so the, so the good thing about therapy is that when you're there you see how raw you are and then you see people that are calmer who've been there for a few weeks mm. and then you see the people coming behind you how they react they act like you did when you first come on. Now you're trying to act like them, so it's like a natural progression. Mm. So you know, you so can see the past and the you future. can see the yeah, and it's, and it's staring you in the face, and you you then automatically think, well, you know what? If I carry on doing what he's doing all the time, I'm not going to get the, the any benefits at all. I'm not going to benefit from what they're going to offer me because I'm just shutting them down all the time. So you know, if if I act like this and keep shutting everyone down, I'm not going to get nowhere. So what I need to do is I need to start talking. I need to stop threatening, stop using my aggression, stop being bullshit and self opinionated. I need to go and ask the questions and also tell them exactly how it makes me feel. Exactly, how. and then when I started doing that, I actually got such a good response from them. And vice versa, they did exactly the same to me. So they corrected my, my behaviors, which, which, which is, uh, you know, for being told that you come across as very aggressive and a bully by someone, by someone else is, 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 is quite a moment because no one's ever done it to me. So to actually to feel that I was actually doing it to that person and even if the person was a rapist or a paedophile or a child killer it didn't really matter you know it, it mattered the fact that I had actually made people feel that way so you, so you know you see you start feeling a little bit of empathy and then you start looking at yourself completely different now, do I actually come across like because I never saw myself like that you know so so you, you have no other option actually, actually to actually change mm. so you know so it was you know it was instrumental that all the little things I'd done from going in the office writing the thought you know the uh, the, the diary yeah. to eating in, in, with the guys, um, and that was the first twelve weeks. And then and I I got through the first twelve weeks, and I I thought, well, that's, that's that was quite good. Mm. You know, I quite enjoyed that process. And it's almost kind of like a relearning process, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're you're kind of learning how to be, say, a normal human being, yeah. but like a, you're you're learning how to function in in in, the, like, in that yeah. way. You know? From pre adolescent to to an adult. Yeah, right. But but if I thought that was that was pretty hard and you know, and it was a learning process. I now had to go onto a main wing right. with 40 other guys uh, that have been in therapy for uh, for years, six years, eight years, and some even 10. Mm. And, and these guys were, they were clued up. They knew every every behavior, you know, whether it's from drinking, uh, every every criminal behavior. We're dealing with guys now that are doing life in prison. They've seen it all, done it all before, and now I'm going in there. Uh, there's no way I'll be able to pull the wire over these guys' eyes. Um, so going into therapy was, you know, and introducing myself and then, and then actually working on, on some of the issues and humanising these guys as well, because, again, they, they were all murderers and, and everything else. Um, but there was a, you know, you had to trust these guys because you were going to open up to some of, the, some of the worst things that have happened to you in your life. And, and, and there was that sort of, uh, you know, you've got that bond and trust. I, you know, they, they all became my friends when we was in therapy. Yeah, there's that there's that yeah. there's that old saying that's like um in 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 vulnerability there is connection. Yeah, and that is I think I think that's yeah. quite true. And it and it worked, you know, because 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 um, as much as they'd done what they did, they also had life experience that, that, that traumatized them. You know, they were beaten, sexually abused, um, you know, everything, every any 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 conceivable act of what you could imagine that some parents do or some person has done to them has done it. You know, 
And then when you start hearing that, you you, you can't go any other way apart from feel empathy for empathy, water. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never ever I never ever liked any of them as friends. I never liked any of them as that I was you know, other than than doing the therapy. I would never socialise with them outside. But as like human beings that have been traumatised, you, you take okay, it for you, what it is. Yeah, you know? you, you, you know, you, you know if you, I think you have to put yourself in, in a child's child's mind. That you know, you got to look at them when they're childs. You know, you know, for me, it's easy for someone to say, "Well, that never happened to me. Well, that could never possibly happen to me." But you've got to take into consideration they were, they were kids, eight, ten-year-old kids. So they're coming from a position where they're, they're men now, and they're very violent because of what happened to them. You know, and they've done some fun things, but. You know, I also, you know, also think as well. You know, I know lots of guys that have been abused. I know lots of guys that have been been sexually abused, physically abused. Haven't they? they haven't gone on to to harm kids or rape women. So you know, so for me, it's never. You know, I don't, I don't think it's an excuse to do that, to make another victim and make yourself feel good. That's your 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 it's actions. Choice, it's your choice. So you know, so I never I never really fed into that that crap with some of them, but um, but I do believe that everyone has, has a capability to change, even if even if. Even if they they still think about what they want to do, as long as they don't act on it, that's that's there's a learning there's a learning process there. I believe that some of the guys that I met were capable of change. I, I can only assume that some of them did change. I can't speak for them, but I only saw what I saw there, and and then quite a lot of it was a manipulation to jump through the therapeutic process for rehabilitation process to show their their probation officers and personal officers that they had changed because they had they had no other option than to to give that. That, Sorry, pers- that, that yeah. persona, yeah. Yeah, that persona, right, simply because they wanted to get out of prison. So there were people that were blagging it, but there were also people that were actually learning some great, great, uh, great things out of it. Well, I mean, you're, 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 you're a true testament to someone who has actually gone through it and has, and has learned, and is, is still, I imagine, learning, you know, about it and around it. And... Oh, you know, I, learned, I learned, you know, I used to self-medicate quite a bit. Um, drugs, drugs, women, you know, because like, I never had no love as a kid, so I compensated with lots of women, you know, so... I would, you know, when I was in a relationship, I had, I had two or three girlfriends. So when this one finished, I could go straight there. So I would never, there was never that moment where I wasn't loved, because I, you know, because I needed it. It was like, a, it was like a drug to me, the cocaine, alcohol. It was only when I started dealing with my, uh, with everything, and and started to, you know, rationalise it, normalise it, whatever, and really, I really understand it for what it was. It was such a great thing coming out of prison, because I can remember going to my daughter's place and she had a place in Hampstead. And she said, uh, Dad, I'm going to leave you here tonight. You know, do what you want to do. Some money there if you want to go out, if you want to do this and whatever. And I said, yeah, lovely. I'll, I'll speak to you tomorrow. And I can remember walking past the pub. Mm. And it was, you know, in Hampstead, it was all glass and there was all people you know, being jolly. And, you know, it was nice. It was a nice atmosphere. It was a nice pub. There was no violence, no crap. And I looked in there and I thought, oh, God, I could really do with a drink, have a smoke, take some gear. But you know what? I was so strong then. You know, like from what I'd done, I dealt with it. I just thought, no, I walked home. I, you know, I was, I stayed indoors. You know, eleven. I remember ten o'clock, eleven o'clock. I was waiting for the pub to shut. Right. You know, and when I when I actually got past it, I thought, God, that's great. I've actually, I've actually done it because I've never Your lasted. Power, isn't it? that's yeah, power. Right. but I've never lasted before. You know, all the times I, I tried that that move before. You know, within the first few minutes, I'd given in to myself because that voice inside of me always said. Why are you doing? Why are you? Why are you denying yourself that? Why are you? You know, you just have what? a drink, ain't gonna hurt you. A little one. And I'll have a drink, a fag, and some gear. Next thing I know, I'll be, able, I'll be, I'll be waking up the next morning, thinking, oh god, I just, just, I've just done it. But now I was in a position where I, I was in control. That voice that was always powerful and strong was, was, was weak. Wow. The, the, the weak voice in me was always good. It's now strong. 
So now, so now the dynamics have changed. Um, had a little bit of faith in there as well because I became a born again Christian, um, and it, and I think uh, and the desire to change. So the ingredients came together: kids, faith, therapy, and 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 that being at the right age. Mm. And and, I, and I've never looked back. You know, um, I've come out of prison. Um, come back to an area. You know, I left prison with, with a tent. Mm. But I've had so many, you know. I think I think because of my faith that it was always going to be okay. You know, I could talk about the prison system and and them setting men like me up to fail until I'm blue in the face yeah. about you know about rehabilitation. But you know what? That's that's, that's by the way. I think having faith in coming out of prison and just believing that, that that I had changed and I was capable of change, you know, was 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 what set me up. Now, um, I met the most amazing girl after a couple of months. Um, uh, uh, my ex girlfriend actually put me up at her house, and she was actually married. But where I, where I had changed so much, she never saw this this guy that was capable and a bit off key. She now saw someone that was actually she would like to invite back into her home. Wow. So she gave me a room. I decorated all the all the house while they was one holiday. You know, I saw my kids again. We we formed them new bonds and new relationships, and mm. and it was it was so much better than it was before. So much more rewarding. Um, how do you how do you maintain that level of life now, or 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 is it is it is it now just kind of ingrained in you? you don't have to fight that other side now. Is it just ingrained in you now that you've you've been through it and you, you're now at a standpoint where you can talk about it and I've, I've, you know, I think for me. Um, with the criminal lifestyle come so many challenges. Um, if you're if you're getting easy money, and you you know your 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 life dictates that you have to go into clubs, into pubs, into that environment, so you have to mix. So that so you drink, you take you smoke, you take drugs to stay up. So it's a real bad toxic environment. Criminality itself. I found that when I came out this time, I told everyone I was a born again Christian to keep them away from me. Okay. You know, just stay away from me because I've changed. I don't want nothing to do with you. That was the first step. And I started going to church. Um, the second one was that now I, I never had them overheads. I never had to, to earn 500 quid every other day just to, to, to feed my lust for women and drugs and drink because now I wasn't smoking. I wasn't womanizing. I wasn't taking drugs. Really, yeah. So basically my overheads have come down. My, my association with other people have gone. And you know what? All I needed now was some food and, and accommodation. So I met the most amazing girl. Uh, she's, she's a school teacher. Um, after a few weeks of meeting her, you know, I told her everything about me. We, we got on so well. She doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, and she goes to church, which is, which is great. Everything I, I wish for. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I moved in with her. And since then, I've, I've just been, I've been doing things that makes me, me happy. You know, I've never happy being a criminal. I was never, it, was, it was never rewarding. There was, there was moments of euphoria, moments of camaraderie, but nothing, nothing that really sustained my heart or my soul. Um, I started. I helped start up Canada Against Violence because uh, we had we had you know we had I think we had eight kids get killed in the, in the space of in that, that uh, five year period three in one weekend. So we started a campaign where where we started going to schools talking about about, uh, about feeding to a belief system that only protects the criminals in this community. And it's time that we stood up as a community because you know if you feed into a belief system that says you know snitches get stitches or you're a grass. That's a belief system that, that belongs to them. It doesn't belong to normal people who pay their taxes and work every day. So you shouldn't be seen as a guy. So for me, it was about empowering the community to say, hold on a minute. There's, no, there's nothing to, to, 
There's nothing in that, in that belief system that is worthy of actually defending. You know, if a, if a grown man stabs a kid who's unarmed, that's, that's nothing you should aspire to. That's nothing you should be proud of. And there's nothing you should protect. So I stood up in a, a few meetings and said it. Okay. You know, and I, and I, you know, and through that we started coming against violence. Uh, we had the march. Um, and then, the, you know, the, the girls are in it are fabulous. Uh, they started um, getting involved with organisations that could take kids in on the courses, you know, English and everything else and painting and decorating. They've now got their own office. You know, we, we grew it into something that was quite good. Uh, we got in touch with the council, they gave us an office. Um, and I've, I've come away from it now simply because I think we took it as far as I can. But I also do talks on it and, and direct people there all the time now. So I then went from there, I went on to the Band of Brothers because I felt there was something missing in the area. But grown men, I know for myself, I, you know, grown men isolate themselves. Mm. You know, they, they got, if they've got no social skills, they, they, they hold back as well. But they've also got a lot to offer as far as life skills. You know, they've all been there, done it all. They might be sitting indoors now because they're insecurities, they've got no money or whatever. And the, the Band of Brothers at that time for me was, was something that was free. It was, it was, I went on, I went on a weekend. I thought it was, it was actually quite, it was one of the best weekends I had as far as trusting other men. Because, you know, we just don't trust other men as men. Yeah. What, is it, what, what is Band of Brothers? What is Band it? of Brothers is an organisation that, that um, is for men, just men. There's, I think there's 12 branches now. We, we set one up in Camden. Um, and you go there for a week and, and you, you, you talk to each other. You learn to trust each other. And there's certain things you do on that weekend. I won't, I won't give it away because that's, that's the crux of the weekend. But you come away feeling really rewarded. And then, and then you, every Wednesday we meet up and we, we sit around in a circle as, as, and then we talk. That sounds amazing. And then, and then the people wow. that want to give their life experiences back then get trained as mentors to go out into the community. Who can, who can come a part of that? Anyone can come. Any, any yep. man from, from, from 25 to, to 70 years old. Were there. I was on the course with 70-year-old guys. Okay. You know, we had, we had gay guys, straight guys, Muslims. We had black, every, every nationality because it's, religious, it's not religious-based. It's just people want to do things, okay. you know, and there's no discrimination, which is great. Um, and, you know, I met some real good characters there and I'll keep, I'll keep in touch with them all today. I'll, I'll, uh, give me some of the details, details. of it. I'll, I'm quite interested in, that sounds very interesting. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, I, I started running that with them and then um, I became an ambassador for the Forward Trust. Um, I, I went and done something with, with um, Jeremy Corbyn and all the, the front bench. Just, just saying that you know that, that there are prisoners that are coming out are worth more, are worth who have got so much to give. You know they're being penalised, they're doing a sentence, and they're also being penalised once they come out because they can't get jobs. Uh, so we, it's, it's about showing them that people that have been through the system, who've come out the other end, who are drug free, have been rehabilitated, um, who've sorted out their problems, are actually worth worth investing in. So we've got loads of organisations that are now employ ex offenders. Oh great! So yeah, so I went on I went on the news on Channel Four. Channel Five, I mean, Five News, <laughs> and uh, I, I done. On, I went on and spoke on there about it, and uh, right. great, great response. Um, and now it seems to be, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, there's lots of, there's, I think there's loads of organisations now and and companies that are actually employing ex offenders, which is which is fabulous. You know, really it's good. good. It's it's good that, that that there are some outs because because as you said, when you when you come out and you and, and you are homeless and you've got nothing, you know, it's like it's like well, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just get back into doing the stuff I was doing then because it's what you know. But if but if there are now outs for ex offenders to, you know. I mean, if if you, you know, there's still there's still a, there's still a there's still a lot to be done, of course, um, because you know there's there's no social housing, there's no hostels. 
Um, and and, there's, and, there's, and unfortunately, we have a re revolving door of recidivism that keeps going around and around and around, simply because there's not the will to change it. You know, um, we invest £40,000 a year in an inmate inside prison, but the minute he needs any help, we say no, because you're not in prison. You know, so uh, most of the guys that come out that I know uh, come out and they're homeless. They live on people's cities. They live on, you know, they're living in, they're living in rooms that, you know, and they've got no, they've got they're, they're no security. Most of the people that they're staying with have got mental problems or, you know, their old uh, acquaintances that are into criminality. You know, for me, it's, it's about if you do leave prison, you need, you need some self-worth. One, you need a trade. You need a job to go into. One, you need education. And then secondly, the most important thing is somewhere to live. You know, if you've got somewhere to live, you've got a trade and you've got a job, the chances of you going back in prison are pretty slim. Okay. You know, because I know from myself, the biggest fear of a man coming out, again, is, is actually going for a job. You know, the thought of being turned down after being a career criminal and going for a normal job. It's quite, you know, to be embarrassed that, that you're not worthy of actually doing a job even in, in Tesco's or Woolworths. Simply because you haven't had the experience and, and you're going to be knocked back because of your crime or your criminality. It's quite often, so most of them revert back to type anyway. You know, you know I'm talking that 40% that keep going back and back and back. You know, just, just, just not getting the same advantages as most people that go into prison. Just to give you one for one idea of prison. Most people that go to the education department inside prison have got a good education. Right. I've been to college, been to university. I've had all the advantages that, that, that people have. You know, they're, they're, they're smugglers, they're, they're, they're fraudsters, everything. But when they go into prison, that 60% go into education because the way the system's set up is about the service providers. They get a bonus for everyone that does, does their form and does their courses. And there's, and, there's, and there's quite a lot of money to be earned. So what happens... They go in and they get they get all the cream jobs because they're manageable. They've got a good education and they can they can show improvement in English. Blah blah blah. They do all the level one, two, and three. That forty percent that, that work on the landings that are dyslexic that can't read uh, uh, are a problem. They'd rather leave them on the landings when basically the people that have had all the advantage should be on the landings. That forty percent should be back in the classrooms and they should be they should be working with them, teaching them. And then, and then instead of having a system that, that rewards um, productivity as far as, you know, tick box re uh, rehabilitation, we should be working on that 40%. Because that's 60%, most of them go out and don't come back anyway. Yeah. If we worked on this 40% and educated them, give them some self-worth, give them a trade, give them a job as soon as they walk out, then we wouldn't have this problem. And you, you, said, know, you, you also said something about, quite interesting about dyslexia and about, and about how, you know, like owning it is the, is the kind of... I, you know, for me, I've, I've spent most of my time telling guys... And, and I do now and telling kids that um, if you've got dyslexia and you learn differently from everyone, it's not something you should be ashamed of. It's embarrassing, there's no doubt about it. Um, and, and the shame, there's shame in it, there's everything, you know, because you don't want to feel bad in front of your peers. And, they, and the kid will scream, shout and everything to, to stay out of that classroom, to stop his friends from knowing that he's dyslexic. So what I tell everyone when I go in now, even though I've written a book, um, I've written three books now, um, I tell them I've got dyslexia and, and but we live in a, a time, a technological age now where we've got, we got phones that we can do any spelling in two seconds. We've got thesauruses, we've got everything. So we need to use everything around us. But the most important thing, we need to own it. Because as soon as everyone knows that you're dyslexic, they can't take the mick out of you. It stops that, doesn't it? It stops yeah, that it stops. role already yeah. starting, doesn't it? Yeah. And also the teachers now are aware of you've got dyslexia. So there's no need to sort of, you know, um, be disruptive in class to get yourself excluded. Because people will go to great lengths to exclude their self from class. And when you consider that the majority of killings inside prison and outside now in the community is for embarrassment and ego and shame.
There's such a powerful emotion. If we can do, if we can teach kids that them that's, that they don't physically hurt, you know, even grown men as well. You know, I mean, I've known lots of men that have killed from embarrassment and ego. If we can teach them that it doesn't physically hurt, and then from them to own dyslexia or, or any learning disability, then we have we we it's, it's, for me it's a step in the right direction because I know for a fact the vast majority of criminals that I know have got dyslexia. I'm talking about the, 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 the you know I'm talking about 90% of them can't 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 uh, can't write are very bad spellers, and 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 what I did that sets them up to a criminal lifestyle which could have been averted if we could deal with it at source mm. which is at school yeah. instead of excluding these kids and ex and, and treating them like demonising them we need to we need to we need to invest if we can aff afford to invest forty thousand so for a kid to just go into the criminal justice system is one hundred thirty thousand pound. And then we got to keep them every year. That's forty thousand pound. So if we can invest one hundred and thirty straight away to putting them through there, and then forty grand a year, why don't we start educating, investing that money into schools, after-school projects, and directing the resources of these kids in particular, mm -hmm. because they're the kids that are going to cost hundreds of millions of pounds in the future. Yeah, right. You just you know, but when you see it, it's only because I've, I've been in prison. I've seen it time and time again, and I, and I really know what needs to be done. Unfortunately, don't they don't come and ask us. There is so, you know, you can't even work in prison and do anything. You know, there's guys that are in prison that have got, they've got so many skills, painting decorators, plasterers, plumbers, everything, you know, but they're not allowed to work in prison for health and safety. But they get outside uh, uh, companies that come in, like Carillion, that, that, that charge double or not triple than other companies because they've got contracts with, uh, yeah, uh, you know, contracts, and, yeah. but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of million pounds being spent on this. But we got, we got, we got. We should utilize what the, the guys and the, and the, what we got in there and all their skills, and then the money that they save, they should then invest inside prison to educate them and house them when they come out. It's really a simple concept, but you know what? It just seems to be frowned upon. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's I mean, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, but I'm imagining that there's that there's so much link and tie between business and and, and prison and private contractors and that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you go into any prison now, is 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 service provider hell. Right. Uh, and, and when you consider that, you know, I've met, I've met professors, I've met school teachers, um, I've met so many guys that are really well educated that could run a class, but yet we were prepared to pay outside providers to actually do the work that they could do, yeah. you know. And it, but we use prisoners to work in the sweatshops in there, in all the other shops. You know, why can't we use them in the education department? Why can't we use them in the, you know, we use them for the gyms. We use everything that doesn't, what you can't get money out of. But you know, as soon as this is 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 a, a, a you can monetize it, then they put a service provider in there. But you know what? You know, you know, for me, I think if 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 I could go to a prisoner who who has got an education, who's willing to teach me, I would have gone a long, long time ago. I was I was never prepared to go to a classroom with with a with with someone I didn't know, who never never had no inclination of what my life was like or could could understand it. But if I could go into into, into a classroom with another con. Or, or a criminal, and he, and, he, and he and sat down with him, and he understood where I was coming from and everything else. I'd probably be more. Well, I've done it. I've actually, I've actually gone into them classes. I, I actually felt more at ease in doing it because I, I thought that you know he understood me more than someone else who never had a clue. You know, was it just some person that was just going through the, through the, you know, just through the, through the whatever they were doing, mm. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I think there's, I think there's a lot of untapped uh, resources inside prison that should be utilised. Mm. Education is a necessity. That they should be doing more. If you've got a guy for eight or ten years, why is he still coming out? Why is he still coming out uneducated? Mm. You know, I, 
and also you know we've also got a care system inside prison which i won't knock because i think they do a fantastic job on the whole the care system in there but unfortunately it's a private provider and they get money by doing prescriptions now the biggest currency inside prison is prescription drugs right. it's handed out like confetti from the private uh, providers because they have they have shareholders to to consider so if a man goes to them and says, I've got a bad back, years ago, if you had a bad back, you were told to get back to your cell, sleep on it, sleep it off. Mm. You know, if you had, if you had a, a, anything wrong with you, you'd get an anodine you know, or a, a paracetamol. That paracetamol was for everything. Broken leg, broken arm, you know, anything that was wrong with you, paracetamol. Now you go to the healthcare department now inside prison, you're getting, you're getting every single drug that is, is available. You know, painkillers. And what they do, they, they, they burn them down and they get all the, you know, the der- derivatives off them and then they smoke it in there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive cottage, cottage industry inside prison, but, but you tell them and no one, no one listens. Right. So, you know, because it's a, it's a massive money uh, spending uh, operation in there, mm-hmm. which, is, which is crazy. There should be more prison, prisoners, ex-prisoners, actually advising probation and the powers that be to actually get it right, especially where housing is concerned. Mm. Right. Well, I mean, in, in whatever avenue you go down, however you, you get your message across, I hope, I hope this Guardian thing is, is, is good for you. And just in, in whatever way, I mean, just, just the best of luck because you've, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've quite clearly been through that system and therapy's worked for you and, and there's obviously so much more to do. And yeah. I think, we, I think we continue to, I'm, you know, for this, through this cold COVID period, I, 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 we started a company called Scoff Mills. It's a, we do uh, meals for, uh, for, for people that want to lose weight, do gyms and all that. But we had to shut down like everyone else. Um, but what we did, instead of sitting, sitting at home, you know, I was walking around the streets and I saw loads of homeless people and I was told that they were all uh, giving hotels. And they wasn't. You know, there's a lot of old people that couldn't get out. So what I did, I, we, I got in touch with Vicky Patterson. Uh, she was on Geordie Shore. And my daughter. And we, they phoned up all the suppliers, Kellogg's, McVitie's, everywhere. Uh, they sent, you know, the crisp manufacturers, everything. They sent down soups, everything. We had a whole warehouse from Yahoo, Yahoo uh, Hire. And we filled it up. Wow. And over the last 10 weeks, we, we managed to do 10,000 care packages for age concern. Wow. Um, the food banks and, and for the homeless. We've been giving that to all the homeless. Wow. You know, and it's been, it's been for me, that's the most rewarding. Yeah, great. To go and do that over the last 10 weeks. It's been so rewarding. It's been, it's been brilliant. Yeah, you know, better than crime. Yeah. <laughs> been in prison. I've, I've had such a great time. I've met some really wonderful people. And, you know, for me, it, you know, I, I just want if, if, you know, to let people know, you know, the most important thing is to deal with your past to create a different future. You can't move forward unless you look, you, 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 you know, you deal with the problems. Because you know what? I never saw myself doing care packages. I never saw myself going on, on the, to the Band of Brothers, to the Forward Trust. Um, coming against violence. I've never done none of them things. And we saved lives. We've literally saved lives doing what we've done over the last few years. But if I'd have never done therapy in Grendon and never dealt with my past, I've never, never moved forward. So, you know, there's a lot to be said. Prison changed my life in so many ways. I, I have to be thankful. Yeah. You know. Well, that was quite something. Cheers, brother. Oof. <laughs> Feel the sun's on my side today I got a lease of life, I feel okay Need to call around, get them all out Jump in the car and get on the way Cause there's love and there's strength in numbers They can try but they're never gonna run us Down, down, speak as 
loud, it's like we're on a come up. Fifth gear, but they're never gonna race us. Down, down. I'm alive, on a high, blue skies, there's nothing better. Open, pass around the light Breathe it in and now bring our gods down Yeah, this is ours for the day and the night Cause there's love and the strength in numbers They can try but they're never gonna run us Down, down Speak as loud, it's like we're on a come up Fifth gear but they're never gonna race us Down